All right. Hi there, everybody. Good afternoon. It's kind of a, it's a beautiful day outside, but it's another, it's a, it's a pretty, very sad, heavy day with yet another school shooting today. And it's just certainly leaves me just, just stunned, just stunned. And, um, I, you know, so we're going to come to the Bible today and I'm, there are, I know these last two chapters and there are pieces of them that are just very much speak to our world today. I will, you know, when, when I saw what was happening or I had heard what had happened in Nashville, I had just um, almost at the same moment seen a poll that had been put up by, done by the Wall Street Journal and by Norris about values that people hold are important. And so in this poll, which is, which they've done for a long time, so that's, that's called a tracking poll, and this one they've done for at least 25 years, going back to 1998. And so they ask, one of the things they ask people is, you know, how do you, is this value very important to you? And, or important, who cares, not important, whatever. So there's been a plummet, and I'm not talking a modest decline, mm -hmm. a plummeting of the percentage of Americans who say that, for example, patriotism is very important to them. Religion is very important to them. Plummeting from like 65% to 25%. That's what. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Polit um, leave politics out of this. Patriotism, religion, having children, okay? Um, having children. Uh, one that has gone up significantly, um, not up as much as the others are down, is money. Money is more likely to be a very important value to people now than it was 25 years ago. But it's absolutely striking. And I, I, I just, in my heart, I put these two things together, this, the shooting in Nashville and this, you know, this poll where you see what's happening to our society. And it was just very depressing and scary all at the same time. So it's a good thing we're coming together here at three o'clock on a Monday afternoon to spend some time in scripture and to try to hear God well and recognizing that we are hearing this from people who lived almost 3,000 years ago, right? So you can't expect their world to be our world, but boy, it's the, the, the truths about who God is and how our lives should be, the way we should view our lives and our lives together and our society and our culture. That's just very striking. So anyway, that's my little, little opening thing there, honey. I just had walked in the door. I went to lunch with a friend today who I had not seen for a while, and I came in and just asked Scott how things were going, and he said, everything great except for what's happening in Nashville and he knows this has been so heavy on my heart God put this on my heart to pray for our kids um, really always pray for our kids but at the beginning of the year I don't know why it just was really on our hearts and so we pray extra at night for our grandchildren and um, wow um, 
for all, all of our children. It, this is just the most heart-wrenching thing to me that now it seems like every couple days you turn on the TV and it's either at a college campus or a high school or something today. I always felt so safe when Rob, Robbie was a blessed kid. He went to everything Christian school from the time he was four years old through college at Baylor. I always felt this sense of security like, well, nothing could happen there. And I saw today, wow, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't, you know, this person today entered through a church and murdered people for what could possibly be the reason. It's, it is just gut-wrenching to me. And as parents and grandparents, I, I, I just know we really have to be praying up the praying. I mean, we can try to do things, you know, through political things, but really us individually, we need to be praying every day. I right away thought of the Bible and the slaughter of the innocents. And, you know, I just really wonder each year we, we put these innocents together. It's way more, way more than we're ever talking about in biblical times of the slaughter of the innocents. This is just such a tragic thing that's happening every day and we should know better it is more than 2,000 years ago yeah. and it's like somehow our society has learned nothing that we just are here in the same place and it's just so sad it's just so sad to me it is my heart's just crushed so I'm going to open us up with prayer we will go in then into these chapters of Hosea 13 and 14. I do think we will finish Hosea today. And then next week when we come back, I've talked with Patty. What I wanted to do was the Gospel of Mark. And she thought that would be a really good place to go from Hosea. So we will, I think, I'm pretty confident we'll be starting that next, next Monday. So if you could help me get the word out about our starting something new and it being one of the Gospels, that would be great. So would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we do we do gather here today. We gather here today to study your word, to, to hear your word. Um, in the midst of, of tragedy, we want to we want to know you better, so that so that the comfort that you that you want to pour out in us, we can actually grasp and and accept. Um, it's it's. This is a world that's always been filled with tragedies, and um, but it they're 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 difficult, very difficult, and sometimes we're at a loss about what to do next. But we will strive to 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 walk in your way, to um, to do what is good and what is right and what is true, and to love our neighbor and to love you. That's 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 all I know. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. And I think if there was ever a time for us who were shy about it, I am. In, I know y'all can't ever imagine me being shy, but sharing your faith with somebody, it's like, wow, if, if, if this isn't the time where we, we can do that, not be afraid, not care what somebody else looks back at you like you're a crazy person, no thank you. I don't know when it is. We offer what the world needs, we even do. if they don't know it. We do. As Scott says so often, if we had the cure for cancer, wouldn't we all be wanting to call everyone we knew and sharing it with them? And 
And yet here we have something that's hard to believe while we're living here on this planet, but that's so much better than that. And yet it's so hard for us to just yep. speak it out. Yep. Thank you, Patty. Okay, so Patty's going to go around to the other side, and we are at chapter 13, verse 1. And I am just going to plunge in. I, I, okay? Now, remember, Ephraim is a tribe of Israel, and it can be spoken of itself as one of the tribes, which happens right here. But it can also be, it was also a, a, a name used by Hosea for the ten northern tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel. Okay? So when Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel. Right? Ephraim, when Ephraim spoke, the people trembled because Ephraim was strong and, and close with God. These were God's people who were close with God. But he became guilty of Baal worship and died. You see, and died. It, God is the giver and sustainer of life. And when the Israelites or any other people you wish to name turn away from God and go on their own way, they are cutting themselves off from life. Life. The sustaining of life, the giving of life, the joys of life. You know, what, what we Christians proclaim about God is actually true. We were made to love God and to love others. And here, he be, I just love that line, it became guilty of Baal worship, which we've talked about a hundred times in this book alone, guilty of Baal worship and died. Now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver. They, these cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. Oh, aren't they beautiful? Look what we can do. Look what we can do. You know, we live in a time here in American 2023 when, you know, the biggest idol of all is self. I read a lot as best I can. It's self. Everything's about self. The self. Self-identity. Self-care. Self-this, self-that, self-this. Not about God. All of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices. Now that's kind of, I don't know why the NIV does that. That is not what the Hebrew has. The Hebrew is not specific about human sacrifices. Um, there's no... We don't know of human sacrifices during the time of Hosea. So I don't know why they the translators did this. It's It should just be they offer sacrifices. The issue is to whom, not of what. The issue is to whom. To whom? To Baal and Asherah and Astarte, these pagan gods. They kiss calf idols. That's the golden calf. Um... Remember Jeroboam built two, put one up at Dan and one down at Bethel on the northern and southern boundaries of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he wanted to offer the people an alternative to the worship of Yahweh at the temple in Jerusalem because of the political divide. The political divide between the southern tribe of Judah and the northern tribes 
affected every part of them, including their worship, right? That's what we can't allow to happen. One of the things I like about St. Andrew um, is that it is actually a very diverse church politically. It would, it, I don't know what side of the aisle you're on politically, but it would probably surprise you because I constantly run into people who are surprised, right? <laughs> so at the church by, really, really? So yes, but that's a good thing. We, we can't let the way that we want to run our society through our elected government control how we worship. And we are called to worship together. So these are all these are all damning statements of, of the Israelites. And so what does that lead to? Ah, therefore they will be like the morning mist. We've had some of those mornings in Dallas lately. You get the morning mist and then the sun comes out and it's gone. Like the early dew that disappears. Gone. And dew is really important in this land because it's so dry. So to the extent they get moisture on anything, it's a good thing. Like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, that little wheat dust that just blows around and blows into nothing, like smoke escaping through a window, like vapor that just disappears. And why, why has this happened? Has God done this to them? No. They've done it to themselves by running away from God and running to the arms of these pagan gods running, which is in truth abandoning, running away from God's arms and into their own arms. That, that's, in my view, gets to the heart of the matter. Verse 4. And so God says, But I have been Yahweh your God ever since you came out of Egypt. Now that is speaking of the Exodus. Remember, yeah, that is the great salvation event. God saved them from bondage to slavery, actual slavery under Pharaoh. God saved them from that. It is the great salvation event of the Old Testament. It's the great saving event. It's the great rescue. And that's why... Um, the prophets keep going back to it. Remember Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, um, when he speaks of the son that God, God speaks of the son he called up out of Egypt, which would be used by Matthew to speak of Jesus and his family returning from Egypt. All of those connections, all of those metaphors, so they're all important. I have been Yahweh your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I'm what you have. I'm what you have. I'm all you have. I'm your only chance. You're not going to save yourself. The king of Assyria is not going to save you. The king of Egypt is not going to save you. You know, your local government, state government, federal government, they're not going to save you. The kings aren't going to save you. God is the rescuer. God is the savior. And when you abandon God, you cut yourself off from all of that. And you can't then be surprised 
that the consequences mount of you. It, it's like, you know, I was reading this today and I was thinking of the Garden of Eden. So what's the Garden of Eden story? Well, the Garden of Eden story is that God tells them that there's one thing they can't do. And of course, they do it. And they rebel against God and they eat the fruit and, you know, God can't find them. God wants to find them because he would come and walk in the evening with them. They, they're naked and they know it. They point the finger at themselves and they point the finger at the serpent and they point the finger at God. But they are cast out of the garden and not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are cast out of the garden and a flaming sword and a cherubim mark the entrance to the garden so they can't go back. This is worse. They weren't cast out of God's presence after Mount Sinai. They chose this. They left. Nobody threw them out of the house. You know, people do get thrown out of their houses as teenagers. That's not the story here. This is, this is a teenager who in a fit of, you know, senseless rage storms out of the house and is heads off and is ruined. It's, they did this. They cut themselves off from God. God didn't cut them off. God didn't cast them out. It's a big difference in my mind uh, between this and the story of the garden of evil. Of, of evil. You shall, back to verse four, whoops, back to verse four. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. I cared for you in the wilderness. That's the wilderness of Sinai. Remember when they go into the wilderness and they need food and water and protection from the Amalekites? That God provides all of that. So if God provides you with food and water and the rest, the, the rest of it, what's going to happen if you cut yourself off from God? Those consequences will mount. And that's what they've, that's what's been happening in Israel. And honestly, at my ripe old age of 72, it's, it's what's happening in America. And you know me, I'm no wild-eyed, crazy person about anything except my passion for my wife and God and Scripture. But I, you can just see it. You can just see it. I cared for you in the wilderness, God says, in that land of burning heat. Oh my gosh, the Sinai wilderness is a big, hot nothing. When I fed them, they were satisfied. But when they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Isn't that the way people are? Whew. You know, you have a problem. Somebody helps you with the problem, and pretty soon you're past the problem, and then you, can, then you forget all about them. That's, that, that's what God is saying. Look, I, I, I saved you. I fed you. I got you water. I protected you. And then you forgot all about me. You only, you only ran to me when you were in desperate need. Once you were out of that, you just got proud to go, oh, look what I did. <laughs> oh, man. You know, yeah, these, these, a lot of this stuff is timeless. Not all of it, <laughs> but a lot of it. So then God says, now, okay, 
There are various ways that God could talk about this. What is going to happen to the Israelites is that the king, the empire of Assyria is going to fall on them. That is the like the this huge consequence for how they have conducted their affairs. Trying to do treaties with Egypt or Assyria rather than living under God's kingship. Even even asking for a human king like everybody else had back in the days of Saul. Even that. And so it isn't that it's it isn't that in this passage of metaphors that God is actually doing all of this violence to Israel. But he is describing what comes to them in this loosely woven fabric of moral causation when they abandon God and don't walk in God's ways. And so he, God says, I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard, I will look by the, lurk by the path, like a bear robbed of her cubs, I'll attack them and I'll rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them, a wild animal will tear them apart. That is what awaits Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. You're destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your helper. There's nothing arbitrary here. There's nothing, there's nothing vengeful here. This is a description of what has happened because the people have abandoned, have abandoned God and cut themselves off from life, making one terrible decision after another for decades, for centuries. Where's your king that he may save you? Where are the rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give me a king and princes? That's, that's, that's 1 Samuel. I'm doing 1 Samuel on Tuesdays. That's the people coming and demanding a king like everybody else had. And God tells Samuel, oh, Samuel, they're not against you. This is against me. But you need to go warn them. And Samuel does. And he tells him, no, you don't want a king. Kings are takers of everything. They'll take your horses, your barns, your, your wheat, your women, your sons. They'll take everything. But the people persist, and because they are adults, right? God gives them what they ask for and allows them to have a human king. And it doesn't, it doesn't go well. And the king, it's interesting, because well, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but the king who has a reputation for, for being the wisest of all was, was Solomon. And Solomon, more than anyone, I think, plants the seeds of Israel's destruction because he has 300 wives and 700 concubines or second wives as a result of all his magnificent political trading and so forth. And they all bring these foreign gods and goddesses, these pagan gods and goddesses into Israel. And Israel is put on a path to become a pagan nation, not a nation devoted, devoted 
to the God who rescued them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give me a king and princes? So in my anger, I gave you a king. It's what you wanted. In my wrath, I took him away. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up. His sins are on, kept on record. So that funny verse 12 is probably about in, in the ancient world, of course, you had scrolls. So there would be scrolls on which records were kept, documents were written, um, lists of the kings, the annals of the kings, the book of like, Chronicles. It's very sort of bookkeeping oriented. Um, uh, so here's, here's, here's record-keeping scrolls devoted to what? Oh, the sins of the sins of Ephraim, the sins of the northern kingdom, because that's that's the focus. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up; his sins are kept on record. Pain as of a woman in childbirth come to him. This is going to be bad. Not that I've given birth; I'm told it's terrible. But he is a child. This is Ephraim. This is the northern kingdom. He is a child without wisdom. When <laughs> Picture the image here. When the time arrives for this child to be born, he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb. Wow. Israel lacks wisdom. How do we know that Israel lacks wisdom? Because they no longer come seeking God. Wisdom is born in God's way. It's knowing God's way. It's knowing who God is and thus having some sense of what is right and wrong and what is good and what is evil. But they don't. It's... I mean, in America in 2023, how much of our genuine, sincere verbiage is spent on seeking God's way rather than convinced that we being convinced that we have the answers? It's, it's. We're becoming, as a nation, we're becoming like this senseless child. So when the time arrives, he doesn't even have the sense to come out of the womb. You know, I don't want to go too far with any of this, but when a prospective justice to the U.S. Supreme Court cannot tell you what a woman is, something's on, something's wrong doesn't even have that much sense to tell you to to tell you what a woman is something's something's wrong when the time arrives he doesn't have the sense to come out of the womb okay verse 14 god says i will deliver this people from the power of the grave i will redeem them from death now look at that verse you see it is, it's indisputable that the Assyrian Empire fell on the Northern Empire 
undoubtedly thousands of Israelites were killed. Many, many, many thousands more were scattered. If you have a very short time frame about the working out of God's salvation, you are going to be disappointed time after time after time. God's time frame is not our time frame. Bad things happen in this world all the time. One terrible thing happened today. People die tragically. There are things that we don't understand. But you have to have a longer view. God is working to, re to redeem these people, to rescue these people. And, and he's going to do it. It just, from, for a lot, of, a lot of years, it's not going to seem like it. And the question will grow, well, how is God going to do this? And of course, we're blessed because we have the answer to that question. That's not a hard question for us to answer. We know how God redeems these people, how God redeems anyone through Jesus. We're blessed to live on this side of Jesus's arrival rather than to be on the other side of the arrival unsure how this could ever be. But this is a promise from God. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. Death will not hold them. Death will not hold you. It will not hold me. It will hold none of us. Yes, unless Jesus comes back first, we will all die. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for anyone. We will be resurrected. That's, that's the promise of the vision of Ezekiel and the dry bones. The bones coming up out of the desert floor, knitting themselves back together. That's a, that's a vision of a community restored. It's a, it's, it's a vision of resurrection. I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Yesterday in my class, I talked about theories of atonement for about, you know, yay long not very long because um, they do it gets it gets a bit much I think but Christus Victor God's victory over sin and death resurrection the resurrection demonstrated demonstrated God's victory over sin and death because resurrection is a victory over death and the wages of sin is death thus the victory is over sin and death where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? They can be there in the short term, but they aren't the end. They aren't the final answer. And we Christians have to have that longer view always in mind. That's why I so often quote Peter when he says, look, 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 look. A thousand years for us is like a day for the Lord. You know, we get very hung up on time. No, get hung up on the maker of the promise, not the timing of its keeping. Because the maker of the promise is God, and God is the great promise maker and the great promise keeper. Scott, I have a question for yeah. you. Do you think those two lines, which they sound so similar, 
to something that Paul says in Corinthians, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Do you think that when Paul was saying that, people looked back, people like connected dots to this? Possibly? Where They connected to the place that Paul got it from, which is not this. Okay. I think it's in one of the Psalms. Okay. I think I would have to look that up. It's, it's a little similar, though. Oh, it's very similar. Yes, I think if I think Hosea probably got it from the Psalms. That, but it's the same idea, you know. I don't know how similar they are in the Hebrew, but where O death is your sting is the same idea as where O death is your plagues, mm -hmm. because death doesn't hold us. Even in a, and of course we think we know what plagues are because we just went through COVID. We have no idea about pl plagues. Plagues would sweep through the ancient world and just wipe out populations because they had no, no protection, no understanding of really what was happening. Um, so, but you're right, Patty, you're on the absolute right track. Paul is making the same point because, and that because that passage you, you said in Paul is from 1 Corinthians 15, mm -hmm. the great chapter on the resurrection. The resurrection is the demonstration that, oh, where, oh, death are your plagues, where, oh, grave is your destruction, where, oh, death is your, is your sting, right? Mm -hmm. Because just because you win the first quarter of the game doesn't mean you win the game. Well, we found out As that As many teams night. have discovered in the last few weeks, right? Yes. So... Even if you're ahead three quarters, doesn't yeah. mean. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then then we switch a little bit here. God says, "I will, I will have no compassion." Even though he thrives among his brothers, an east wind from the Lord will come, blowing in from the desert. His spring will fail, his well will dry up, his storehouse will be plundered of all of its treasures. They have chosen this. But of course, God does have compassion. Go back to Hosea 2. I will allure her. I will take her out and we will start over. This is, this, remember I said back when we started Hosea, there was this constant interplay between God's wrath and God's, God's love, this constant between God's justice and God's mercy, however we want to approach it. Yes. And and I think it's understandable. Look at verse 16. The people of Samaria, that is the capital city of the northern kingdom. So here he could have written, said, the people of Ephraim or Ephraim or simply Samaria, which is actually in the Hebrew, all it says is Samaria. But here we go, NIV. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. There are consequences. There, there, are con there have to be consequences. A, a woman went into the school today and shot three adults, killed three adults, and killed three children. Should there not be consequences for her? Do do you do you want to worship a God who just waves it all away? Never mind. 
No, that's not, that's not the sequence of things with God. Justice and mercy go hand in hand with God. The people of Samaria must bear their guilt because they have rebelled against their God. They will fall by the sword. It's going to be awful. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Mm. Their pregnant women ripped open. It's dramatic, but it's true. This is warfare in the ancient world. This is, you know, Patty, it's war. Heck, it's warfare in our world. Look what, look and look at what happened to Aleppo, in Syria. Look at look at what's happening in Ukraine today to the kindergartens and the hospitals and things. So this. Russian shells come flying in. We, we, we can't see this just as something about them or them 3,000 years ago. This goes to Patty's point right at the beginning. This is us today too. Why is it us today too? Why don't we learn? Why don't we learn? That's a question that so much of the world can't answer anymore. They don't know. They're really stumped by it. They're stumped by it. I told the story a few weeks ago of a man who had worked on a movie about World War One. He was just stumped by this young man. Stumped by it. Why don't we learn? Why don't we learn? Why don't we learn? We don't learn because we are burdened by sin. And so the answer, it only lies in one place, and that is with God. We... The only, the only chance we have is with God. And if we run from God individually, as a community, as a society, we are just increasingly cutting ourselves off from the source of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. And why should we then be surprised that life becomes less and less and less valuable? We live in a time when people will say, well, I think when, they, when we will like to delude ourselves into thinking that life is, you know, so important to us as a society, but I don't think so. I don't see any evidence of that. I mean, my life is important to me is about as far as most people will really go, I think, if they were being honest. Oh, your life's important to me. Okay, to you, <laughs> a few, <laughs> but to a lot but of people. but just you know what see. I mean. That's the thing. Life is important simply because it is life. It Too is. many people today think you need to be wanted by someone to be to have worth. That can't be true. No. The only it is true in this extent that God does love everyone. But, but a, a child who is unwanted does, is not a child who is without worth. Because a life is a life. And the life of a human made in the image of God is not like the life of any other creature on this earth. We're made in the image of God. So many of these things that are just intrinsic absolutely essential pieces of the Christian worldview are being forgotten. 
They're being forgotten, and it is leading to... It's Well, we can see what it's leading to, in my view. So, that's Hosea 13. And this chapter has been largely about what? Israel's guilt. Mm -hmm. They're running away from God. So now we come to the 14th chapter of Hosea. And as I've said often, prophets will bring things around to, to a glimpse of things being put right. Okay? Sometimes the glimpses are smaller, sometimes they're greater. So here Hosea says, Return, Israel, to Yahweh your God. Your sins have been your downfall. There you go. <laughs> I don't need to elaborate on that. Return, Israel, to Yahweh your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to Yahweh. Say to him, these are the words that you need to say to him and you need to mean it. Forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips, that we may adore you and praise you with the words off our lips and every ounce in our being. Assyria cannot save us, Hosea says. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say, our, I think Hosea wishes this were true. Surely he does. We will never again say, our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the Lord God, in you, Yahweh, the fatherless, find compassion. Widows, orphans, are used throughout Scripture to express, to symbolize the most marginalized and oppressed people in society. And the measure, the measure of, of Israel was how well they treated the widows and orphans. Jeremiah 7. That was the measure. It's why Jesus came and hung out with who he hung out with. That's the measure. Verse 4. This is God now speaking. I will heal their waywardness. I'll love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. Reminiscent again of Hosea chapter 2, which I really do hope you marked when we were there and that you will go back to Hosea 2 from time to time just to, just to remind yourself of these beautiful passages in the Old Testament that express, you think they're about to express God's wrath, righteous wrath, but instead you get this you get this deep and abiding expression of love. God says, verse 5, I'll be like the dew to Israel, that morning dew. Dew sustains. Dew is moisture in the middle of, of a desert. Israel will blossom like a lily. <laughs> like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. Israel, that is. Ephraim. A cedar of Lebanon was famous for its trees. 
Um, I don't know how many trees there even are there now after all the years of warfare, but the cedars of Lebanon were famous. The cedars of Lebanon were brought down to, to build uh, the temple and stuff. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow out and they'll spread. The splendor will be like an olive tree. They love olive trees in Israel. His fragrance like one of those cedars of Lebanon. You know what you're kind of, you, do you like do you like to smell the pine trees up in Colorado when the air is crisp and the temperature's cool and you can smell all the pine trees around? You like the smell of a Christmas tree, a live one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all kind of do. We all respond. I don't know anybody who doesn't respond to that. We all do. We His, burn a candle called Tree Farm. We do. Year. We burn a candle <laughs> called Tree Farm that that Patty found that is shockingly shockingly like a Christmas tree yeah. in fragrance. I thought she was kidding me before she lit one the first time. And I said, whoa, you're right. And that was so yeah, so in a way, <laughs> in a way it smells like a cedar of Lebanon then, right, yeah, Patty? It does. Well, people will again dwell in his shade. Whose shade is that? God's shade. They'll flourish like the grain. They'll blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. You know, Lebanon was like the, um, uh, at one time was the toast of the Mediterranean, really. It was like the Riviera of, of the Mideast. Beautiful, popular. Um, but the wars there have just decimated it. We have friends um, who their son went to school with our son. Um, George's family is from Lebanon. And and he would talk about it and remember what it was once like. Maybe there, maybe it's getting back to something like that again, but I tend to doubt it. But Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon, or maybe Napa Valley. Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and come for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. God has nothing to do with idols. Make no graven image, God said. Make no graven image. And they didn't. Until they lost their way. And and they weren't even then they weren't even making grave didn't think they were making graven images of the Lord God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're making graven images of Baal and Ashtaroth and Asheroth and what all the other ones that were around. God wants God doesn't have anything to do with idols. You have to ask yourself, what in our world do we idolize? Celebrity? Mm-hmm. Self? Money, mm-hmm. right? Um, we can we can make we once did a series at St. Andrew. This is going way back. Called, um, we called it American Idol. This is like back in two thousand and eight, and we talked about the idol of family, which Arthur talked a little bit around on Sunday. So, um, it's, it's, 
it's a hard thing, I think, to avoid, to, to sort of walk away from much of what this world values and to come back to God and embrace, embrace basic things, community, family, children. I mean, how could you expect a society to value the children in elementary schools if they don't value having children? And that number has plummeted. So, um, it's, it's just, that's where it is. Now, this ninth verse is almost certainly appended on, added, probably when this piece of writing makes its way from the north, northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. Hosea, as a piece of writing, as a scroll, is probably one of the most beaten up texts that we have. Oh, there's probably more pieces of it that are missing and questionable, like it arrived in the South in kind of bad shape, which leads some scholars to think that Hosea doesn't make it. Hosea perishes in the North and does not, does not get to the South uh, before the Assyrians overrun the whole place because the, 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 the scroll itself is just in pretty, it's pretty tough shape. Um, but you can tell from vocabulary and some other clues that this last piece is probably added probably by a, um, a scholar in the South who is cleaning up this scroll so that the people of Judah can hear the word brought from God through Hosea. So, verse 9, who is wise? Let them realize these things. Let them go back through this scroll from beginning to end and realize these things. That apart from God, there is no life. Doesn't mean you're going to drop dead. Adam and Eve, what, what are Adam and Eve, Eve told? That um, the serpent, I think, if I get my story right here, tells them that on the day they eat of this fruit, you will surely die. They, they don't die instantly when they eat the fruit, but they do die. See, that's the thing. Again, don't always focus on the timing. That's, that's the calendar. That's not the key. Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Come back to God. There's no true life apart from God. Even if it looks that way for a short while, you are on a descending spiral. Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. Let them understand these things. Understanding in the Bible, understanding for Jews, Christians, is about understanding God's ways. and realizing that those are not the world's ways. Um, 
that we all don't run around seeking to do whatever seems right to us. We strive to do what is right in God's eyes. Um, Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we will know what the will of God is. What is good? What pleases God? What is mature and whole? It's not about, the will of God is not about which job you're going to take or should I, should I, it's not about that. It's a, it's, it, it's a moral, it's a moral will. How does God want us to live in relationship with God and others? That's what God's will is. Who's discerning about that? Who understands that? Who, who strives every day, sometimes failing, I know, but who strives every day to live in God's way? Who strives to embrace a virtuous life? As Paul would write one place, to think about what is good and excellent and true and beautiful and honorable versus giving yourself over to the vices, those glittering, lovely vices, which are just so enticing. They're all covered in very attractive gold and lots of bright lights and the rest of it, yet they are ruin. They are ruin. Lust and envy and greed and the rest, vainglory, all of it. Who's discerning? Let them understand the ways of Yahweh are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. There's lots of ways to refuse it. There's lots of ways to twist God's ways into knots. Okay? As opposed to sincerely striving to understand the ways of Yahweh and then to walk in them. This, is, this verse is very, very standard biblical stuff. That's basically what Paul says in different words. He, we use Around Paul, we use words like being Christ-like and a disciple and those kind of things, but it still basically comes down to this right here. The ways of the Lord are right. The ways of Christ are right. And the righteous walk in them. And if you want to rebel against God, you can, but you're going to stumble all over yourself and you're going to bear the consequences, which may not be immediate, you see? May not be immediate, but they're going, to, they're going to be there. They're going to come. So that, my friends, is the book of Hosea. 14 chapters from about 730 B.C. or so written to the northern kingdom not long before the Assyrian Empire will fall on them and the ten tribes that make up the northern kingdom will be will be swept away. And why will that, will that have happened? How will, how will even the, the Jews who are left, the Jews of the southern kingdom, even after their own tragedy, their own tragedy at the hands of the Babylonians, how do they see this? Do they see it as, ah, bad luck? No. They understand that it is their abandonment of God that has brought this 
on them. It's as if they cast themselves out of the Garden of Eden. So, any thoughts or questions, dear Patty, from anybody, from you? Um, it, well, Susan Hauser mentioned a, a, a little way back when we were talking about where is death is thy, you know, where aware death is your sting. She said that it sounds very much, I guess, like John Donne's Death Be Not Proud. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that sonnet. I'm familiar with the phrase. Not so, I'm sure in high school or somewhere along the line, you know, I learned the sonnet. But um, Death Be Not Proud would be right because, see, death doesn't win. And death is our enemy. Death is our enemy. And yeah. it does, the death doesn't win. So don't be proud, death. Death does not win. We may, we may at times be so saddened that we think it does. It might look like it does. But that's only because we get the timing all wrong. We get the time frames all wrong. We don't strive to embrace God's promises of enduring of enduring hope. And um, it's a hope that is not a, a perhaps or a probability. It's a way of talking about um, assurance. The assurance that yes, God made promises and God is going to keep those promises. So, let's see. Anyway. But that is a promise we have and we believe in as Christians. That is that is the promise. It's, it's Easter, it's, right? It's, it's Easter. E I mean, we're just about to and get to Easter. People. I saw the most amazing comment. I would like, there, there's a Christian scholar, priest, author named Fleming Rutledge who is basically retiring now. She's somewhere in her 70s and I like reading her work. But she put a funny tweet up when she said, well, Easter's about here. And Easter is such a difficult Sunday to preach. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I preached every Sunday for 10 years, and Easter was the easiest Sunday to preach. This is a reminder. Um, the easiest Sunday to preach because it's, it's, it, it is about the keeping of God's promises and the fact that death doesn't hold any of us. That one day, I saw it so often say, I'm going to hug my granddad, I'm going to hug my my mom. So, yeah. So, even in a book like Hosea, there are all these little pieces of it that point you to that ultimate, final redemption, resurrection, renewal, um, that where God is taking us all. So, let's see. Okay. Can I ask a different question? You can ask anything you want. Patty, um, you, you work here and you live here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think you mentioned it on Sunday. We didn't have all the slides, but this coming Sunday is when you're going to go through every day of the Holy Week, right? Is that yes. correct? Yes. So, so I'm going to start on Palm Sunday, and then we're going to talk about what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I've got pictures. And they're going to work this week. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just want y'all to know that was not Scott's fault. No, yesterday. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. But I, I have a workaround. But I just couldn't implement it fast enough on Sunday morning. So, but this Sunday I will. That's the thing. When something breaks, you know, Patty, it's always. I know how to fix it, or I figure out how to fix it, but then you don't get the same problem again. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm going to come prepared for the problem we had on Sunday, but anyway, I think it'll all work. It's actually been very stable, except for Sunday. So, and it didn't matter too much, really, but this coming Sunday it would matter a lot, because I have a lot of cool photos and maps and other things to help us really, really really place ourselves in the story of Jesus that week. And I know that many of us have now been to Israel. Yeah. And when you actually So you're going to see places realize, you've been. Yes. Yes. Cuz that that that's a lot of the photos I have are of places we've been. Yes. And maps to show you where you've been. Yes. I slept here. Yes. Whatever. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think we're going to just go ahead and end early. And what are we going to start next week on Monday, Patty? We're going to start the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark. Gospel of exactly. Mark. Exactly. It's, it's always good to do a gospel. It just always is. And it's now been a little while. We did Gospel of John, but that was a while already. And it, and Mark just plunges right in. Jesus' first words. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And it's it's a relatively short gospel. We had um, probably ten plus years ago a guy who came to St. Andrew mm -hmm. and did um, he used a different version than what we use, but he sat up there. I hate to call it a show, but it was it was a one man it. performance of the entire Gospel of Mark. He changed his voice a little bit here and there, but the whole thing took less than two hours. Oh, it way, took less. Much, way less. Um, but of course, with Scott, this may take six months. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, because we're actually going to strive for understanding. A absolutely, absolutely. Yes. But um, <laughs> but it we is. Could, uh, if we were just going to read it straight through, I could. We could just get a tape. Absolutely, and but it does. People, <laughs> if they want to, I'm just saying you could sit down, take an easy version, maybe. And read the whole thing in an hour, hour and That'd a half. That would be great. And then you'd kind of have some idea of what's coming, too. And a good way to see it, because I think this is, I'm with those who think this is the case, that it's Peter's eyewitness testimony mm -hmm. that he preached time and time and time and time again. And John Mark wrote it down. And John Mark, a la Mark, produced this, the, this gospel, the first of the gospels right. to be written. Peter's eyewitness testimony. So, and this here one we go. is um, this is um, how do you say the word canonical the, with the three? It's the, one of the three synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels, and um, so it is, of course, the same story. The, the really is is the same story. Yeah. But but you will see if you went through the Gospel of John with Scott, you will see some differences that were not in John's. Oh, and because John is not a synoptic gospel, that's what so I'm it's saying. completely it's different. Completely different than in the that other way, in the way three. it's all ordered and put together. There are the only miracle that is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and is in John is the feeding of the five thousand. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, all the miracles in John are not found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and vice versa. Yep. Yeah. So it's a very they're very different in that way, many ways. All right, All right dear, dear. Well, well, we're gonna I we're guess gonna close. let people go here. 
Um, we're back in First Samuel tomorrow at noon if you guys want to join us either in person or at church. Um, if you haven't been coming to church, you would be really quite surprised. We've been average, um, averaging between 65 and 70 people in person for on Tuesdays. Tuesday afternoons. It's it's been wonderful, wonderful. So um, anyway, let's let's close in prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for pulling us all together this afternoon. Lord, I know personally I really, really needed this time to study your word. Lord, we are all just so saddened, and, and our hearts are crushed to know that another tragedy happened again in our country on, you know, on the innocents, on the innocents. And we pray, God, that you would be um, fully with the family, the loved ones, the friends of those, the three adults, the three children who perished today, Lord. We do know, God, that this is not their end. We do know that, Lord. Your word teaches us that. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over and take care of us, God, every day and take care of our, our children and those that are just sometimes vulnerable more vulnerable than, than adults to such, such tragedies. Um, we pray, God, again, that you would just hold us all close together, Lord. We are coming up on Holy Week, and we are, we are so grateful for that, Lord, to be able to be together as Christians for many days in a row and just worship and celebrate, God, the, the greatest gift of all that anyone could ever give us the gift of your son Jesus. Lord, we pray all of this in his name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Adios. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Hopefully to see you tomorrow.